Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Amory is the author of You Will Do Great Things. She is a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter, producer, and writer. The daughter of a Korean artist and an African-American military officer, Amory was born in Massachusetts, raised all over the world, and graduated from Georgetown University with a bachelor's in English. She is the editor of the New York Times bestseller, Because You Love to Hate Me, a junior library guild selection, and recently founded Amory's Book Club, a book club that highlights diverse and unique perspectives and voices. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband and son. Hi. Ooh, I love your library. Oh, I love your Bless library. You. Oh my gosh, where are you? That's gorgeous. This is my library. It's my house, but it's my library in Me the too. house. It's my library in my house. I love yeah, it. It goes, it goes all the way around. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So wait, when you color code your books like that, how are you? It, I mean, I'm sure you, you know, you know where you put everything, but like so, I thought see Cloud Atlas, maybe not. How do you how do you know where everything is, or do you just remember, even though the genres and the nonfiction is mixed up? Like how yeah, do you? I don't. I don't. Sorting at home by genre is not. I've never done that before. Like I, it's only just been like a, a mishmash of basically the order <laughs> of which I read it, and. A couple of years ago, I actually, when I had COVID right in the beginning, I was like alone for so many days. <laughs> I just like took every book off of all the shelves and put them all on the floor. And then I started putting them back and I was like, let me try a white shelf. Let me try a green shelf. Let me try, what would that oh, look like? That. And then I just kept going and going. And I was like, I'll just sit with it for a bit. Anyway, that was like three years ago, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually love doing shelves. That's actually rearranging the shelves is like, it's just so therapeutic for me. I'll still do that. Like every few nights I'll go in and be like, okay, do you want to move this to here? This is the reading pile over there. Do you want to do that? But it, I do have it by genre. So it's like classics, short stories, graphic novels, literary fiction, literary fiction. That's more slipstream, speculative, Whoa. straight up SFF, YA, 
little one, the children's section, my favorite childhood favorites, coffee table books, maps, and things like that. Nonfiction, but the nonfiction is like science, spirituality, world history, sociology type stuff. Like, so it's it's like wow, a bookstore. But then how do you? I actually just opened a bookstore, so I've actually been trying to. I have a whole new system for my bookstore too. I have that all sorted by emotion and by the type of topic. So each shelf is like wow. books that make you cry, books that make you tremble, like coming of age, coming of middle age, you know, books for the foodie, books for the traveler, books for your sister, you know, so you can easily yeah. gift and you can easily find. But yeah, apparently sure. we can talk book ca- book categorization this whole time. So that's, that's <laughs> awesome for me. <laughs> You're asking, how do I find something? Well, what do you do if you have like, if you get another five books and like your shelf is full and the other shelves near it are, are full, where do they go? So I have other shelves in other places, but there's another bookshelf there. So usually if I get like ARCs for advanced reading copies for um, the book club, yep. those are back there. Books that are like, you know, I've had these for a long time. Are you going to read these or not? Do a few of those or not. They are on shelved in another shelf back there. Then I have like a whole YA shelf there. If there, there are spaces. And what I'll do is I try to make sure if there's questionable choices, questionable books, those get filtered in and out. But also, like, let's just say there's a big, long series, or I read this, will not revisit it, don't necessarily need to look at it for any particular reason. I start tucking them in the back. So the back oh, has a lot of books. Interesting. But you don't want to lie a book down like this. I learned that the hard way because the spine will start pulling away. So you have, it has to be like that or like this, but never like that. That will, like, it, it's the glue. It just can't, it can't hold on for years. It can't. Huh. Who knew? Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah, we could go on for <laughs> I actually, I, so outside this door, because this whole room is now basically full, except shelves where I'm evaluating books up like here and over there. I have a library cart. So I have like all my arcs are outside in this library cart situation. I'm a library cart. You should That's get one. Such a good idea. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You should get one. It's such a, the arcs on a library cart is such a great, cute, fitting place for them to be. Yes. You should get one. Go on, you know, Amazon or Uline has them. Um, I have one in LA in my store too that's blue. It kind of matches the store aesthetic, which is all like blue and white and tan and stuff. And then here, the one here is like, you know, kind of like a grayish, like a real institutional looking giant library card. I am so happy. I have tears. (laughs) I'm like, what? Oh my God. Memories. I used to work at the library too. So I could shelf books. They were like, you're not very good at this. I'm like, I just keep reading them. I was like, I'm sorry, it took me so long. But yeah, I did not know that. I never would have thought about that. Thank you for that tip. No problem. I'm getting one. Wait, when did you work at a library? We'll just make this whole thing the interview, by the way, because that's basically okay, sure. our interview is just chatting anyway. <laughs> when did, and we'll get to your children's book, which I'm so excited about. But um, when you. did you, when in your life did you work in a library? And like, when did you develop this passion for books? That was, well, I worked at the library at Georgetown. So it's one of those student jobs that I had. And I was, I loved it because I would also go to the library to record music. You know, my friend and I, we figured out a way to use the audio visual room to record like really, really early, like demo type stuff. And then I ended up getting a job at the library and I'm just sorting, but I could never get through my cards because I mean, you're, you're not only looking at books that you're interested in, but mostly books that you would never just think to come across. Mm -hmm. So you just explore and so I would pick up so many I mean it was impossible they were probably like 
what's really going on? Like it, why is it she's so slow? Can you, they asked me once, are you having a hard time like navigating? I'm like, oh, no, 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 I, uh, no, 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 that's not it. They're like, we thought you couldn't alphabetize. And you're like, I've read like all the PhD books over here. Like, what are you talking about? It was so wonderful. Um, but being a reader, like, I've been a reader all my life. Like when I was little and they're like, what's your hobby? Mine was always reading and writing. And I started writing when I was seven and I would staple them together and, you know, make them like write the, you know, the, 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 the back synopsis, the back flap and all of that. Like I was very into it. That is awesome. Do you feel like you had someone, this is my new theory, that people who become writers in some way always have at least one person early on who says like you have talent or like a teach an English teacher who says like, you know what, like that's a really amazing story. Like you should think about doing this more. Some There has to be some, there doesn't have to be. There is often some person who is a huge advocate early on. Did you have that person? Well, my parents were, you know, big readers. You know, they're, they're very, they've always been big readers. So, of course, they nurtured that and would take them to the library. But when I was writing, it was just because that's what I wanted to do. I just would do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That writing of stories. When I was a kid, I would check out everything from the school library. Or it wasn't actually the school library. That too. But the military-based library. So I would go there and... I was like in second grade and I've got a huge stack. I would always ask, what's the maximum that we can, you know, how many books can we check out? And there were a lot, like 10 or 15. They could let you take 10 or 15 at a time. And it would be Amelia Bedelia, Mary Poppins, Miss Piggle Wiggle, Nostradamus, you know, witches, Wiccan, whatever, all kinds of like, just like in the same pile. And my parents would just let me read what I wanted to. So it would be a lot of children's books, but a lot of adult books but not the adult books that are like fiction it would be literally like Nostradamus's prophecies of the apocalypse oh my and like how to esoteric stuff like how to levitate and out-of-body experiences <laughs> go out of they're probably like what I'm like yes yes look at what I was reading because I would sit there with like a volleyball like trying to move it with my <laughs> oh my gosh and meanwhile, and then meanwhile, we, I, meanwhile I was reading like my mom's you know like hardcover family saga drama with like all these like random sex scenes and stuff. And, like, oh my god! Like totally inappropriate, but I like read all the books for people my age. You know? <laughs> yes, there's like so many interesting things out there. I remember when my dad said, "Okay, you can read all this, but you can't read that uh-huh. and that <laughs> it by Stephen King." And I, of oh. course, you know, if I see Shogun and I see all these other books, but I'm like. What's that? It's like a, this claw on the cover, and it looks scary. And I got it, went under the bed with the, you know, in the under oh, covers, no. with the and I traumatized myself. I was so traumatized. Clowns scared me for until I was like in high school because of those few pages with the the red slick, the yellow slicker, and you know when he's asking Billy, is it to come down the drain? And I mean, I was scared of drains. I was, <laughs> I was like. My son, who's eight, saw a little clip of it, something with a clown on YouTube at one point, and he has basically slept in my bed for the last three years. And he's still like, when he's in the bathroom, like flushes really quickly and then runs out. Listen, I I stopped jumping in the bed maybe five years ago. Up until five years ago, I always would come to the bed and hop in because I was traumatized from... When I was a kid watching Poltergeist and the clown with all the arms, remember oh that gosh. part? I mean, I literally, I noticed I stopped doing that. and I, I lost some of that fear, but about five years ago, and I'm telling you since I was a kid until five years ago, 
I would hop in the bed because I didn't, and I would make sure like my hair wasn't hanging over the bed. And also if I washed my face, it was really fast because I would think about um, Candyman or Bloody Mary and all that stuff. Yeah. It was very scary. <laughs> Terrible. Very scary. Wait, so then how, so you, you, I, you grow up, you become a, an artist. Just by the way, that my whole team and I were just listening to one thing downstairs. <laughs> we were all dancing. Everybody was like dancing on the table. Just so you know, even my son, who's a teenager, is like, awesome. Anyway, so tell me about the development of that and how books sort of kept being a through line to your life. And then the culmination in the book club and of course the children's book. Well, you know, when I, Reading and writing was something that I always loved to do, but it was not something that I was thinking, oh, I will do this professionally. So, you know, mm-hmm. even when I was about to go to college, I was thinking, oh, I will, I don't know. I don't know what do people do? Be a professor <laughs> maybe, or maybe I'll be a lawyer. My mom was always talking about being a professor or a lawyer. And I was like, okay, yeah, that kind of thing. Oh, computer science. My dad was like, science, computers are the future. So I was like, okay, he's like, you get a job in computer science. I'm like, well, I'm not really, I love using this chat room stuff, daddy. I don't know if I really want to be a programmer. I knew a kid, a friend of mine, uh, her little brother, who at a very young age was like into programming. And I'm talking about when the screen was like apple spinach green. And I was like, yeah, that's more his thing, but I'll do it because jobs. And so... (laughs) I went to college right before I went to college though. I was like, actually, I think I want to pursue being a recording artist. Like I, I, that's what I want to do, but I'll still finish what I began my academics. I will go to university. In the meantime, I'll get my degree and I'll go somewhere like culturally rich, close to New York, but a great school. And so I can do everything that I wanted to do regarding academics, but also start working on that demo, start making connections. And so that's why I chose Georgetown because it was in DC, you know, culturally very rich. There's so many things there, great school, close to New York. And while I was there, I was kind of like not very present because I was just always in my head thinking about one day when I become a singer. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would work in the library. That was the only time that the spell was broken because when I was at the library, I was reading the books that we were shelving, but any other time working, any other jobs, I was like, listening to my headphones. If this was my video, it'd be like this. Oh, what if this was my song? How would I do the video? It'd be like that. So people just always knew me as doing that. It's funny because Rachel Yoder, who was an Amory's book club selection. I didn't realize we went to Georgetown at the same time. We had like a class. She was like, I think we had sociology together, but you were always singing all the time. And I was like, see, that's just, <laughs> that's what I was doing all the time. It wasn't until I later, like after I became um, a professional recording artist, you know, professional singer songwriter that I felt like something was missing. And it took many years for me to come back to writing because during college, you know, you're just reading everything you're supposed to be reading. You know, you're just, you're just, you're, and I'm focused on other things. So I didn't really read as much as the first time in my life that I really stopped reading. And then after that, I got into a lot of nonfiction. So I was just reading nonfiction for like seven or something years straight. And then it was, I was going on tour and someone from a record company gifted me like some candles. and was like, here's your first tour. You're going to need some self-care and all that. Here are some candles. And here are two books called Harry Potter. I'm like, okay. Okay, the kids' books, all right. Cool. <laughs> I don't know about this, but okay. And I just read it and I was like, wow, I remember this feeling. It's been so long. So I was I had them on the tour bus and I zipped through those books. And it's like I remembered what it was like to read when I was a kid. 
and zipping through and loving story and being immersed in the world. And I, I remembered. And then that kind of opened the floodgates again. And I started reading again, still reading a lot of nonfiction, but really my, it was mostly, it became mostly fiction and I just devoured everything. And then after a while, you know, I would have a book with me everywhere we went, radio stations, waiting, book, interviews, waiting, book. But then I started feeling like, you know, something I remember telling my husband, I feel like something's missing. And he was like, what? And I was like, I don't know. So I'm going to just throw some things out and do some word associations. But what I'm feeling is like uh, sitting down or just something insular. I was like, paper, stacks of paper. I, I, I miss paper, like the feel of it. Like I loved paper, you know, like all writers love paper. Mm-hmm. Bookish people love paper. Pencils, like he's like, I don't know what you're describing as like an office job. And I'm like, no, not as like <laughs> writing. I was like, I think it's writing. I miss books. I miss pages and pages of paper and notes. And I miss that stuff. And then I just started to write. I was like, you know what? I'm going to just write something. And I've always been into post-apocalyptic stuff. I'm always trying to like put it in my music videos. And people are like, huh? I didn't notice that. I'm like, you didn't notice the two moons? Did you see that environment? Like, it was a hint that things that like regressed. And they're like, oh, now I get it that you mentioned it. And I was like, I have to be able to put it out in a more full way. And that's when I decided to just start. And, and then when I started, it was like, it was kind of hilarious. It was like this really long prologue. And it started out with where I, I guess I'd left off with a lot of things with writing. So it was like, in a land where something, something, where smoke and the cloak, the nest, and the eyes of men. And it's like, it's a long, epic fantasy prologue. Like, but long story short, that wasn't the book that I ended up querying my agent with. And I wrote other things. I have to boot camp myself. And for like that first year and a half, I didn't do any music. And I was just like, I'm going to write all day, every day, because I feel like behind. And I came back to this very late. And I did that for literally... 16 to 20 hours a day. What? Writing. No, I was obsessed. My husband was like, yeah, you must have written like 20 books. How many books did you write? I wrote so many, but I was revising. Okay. I I think I only wrote like two, but I was writing all the time, but they were like really big books. So it was like a science fiction fantasy first book series and like another one that was like took place on earth. But I was like writing, 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 doing a lot of reading and a lot of revising. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I wrote all the time, all the time. Like I was like, that was great, but I was like, it wasn't healthy. It was a good year. It would have been impossible to do as a parent, you know? So I wasn't a parent yet. And I'd taken like a year off from doing any music. And that's what I did. Like, that's what I did all day. Like, not like it was a job. Like it was an obsession because I am, I do have a compulsion when it comes to writing and creating in general. Uh, And so that I did that. Hey, grownups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. 
So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. So then what happened? Okay. So then after I wrote, then I found my agent. I queried her. I looked up like how to find agents. What, what, what do they represent? I internet stalked her essentially because I wanted to see like everything about her. <laughs> like as far as like, what is she into? But like, oh, this also she used to work here and then she did this. Oh, that's pretty good. And she is the, like one of the smartest people that I know. And I, and I wasn't even surprised when she started her own agency because I could see that in just like how she was coming up. And yeah, she was amazing. And so now fast forward at the children's book coming out and I have an adult, but I can't supposed to announce that yet. Well, okay. Kind of, I got something. I guess I should say I have something in the works that basically means I've been writing adult books as well. Just haven't talked about it yet, but something's coming down the line soon. Uh, And more picture books as well. So I'm so excited. I'm creating all the time and new music. And I want to put together a tour. Oh my the God. one thing I have to do all the time though is write. I do have to write. And my husband knows that if I don't write, I get grouchy. So we'll literally be in a hotel lobby, whatever's going on. We do sound check. They're like, oh, does she want to do this? Like she wants to get back to the room and, and write. Cause if she doesn't, she's going to be cranky. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, that's something that I, I'm never like not doing. That's amazing. That is so cool. Okay. So you had 8 zillion ideas. You could have had your first children's book really be anything. Why this? Tell listeners about the book and everything else. The reason, well, You Will Do Great Things ended up being the first book because it ended up being the first thing that I really, really wanted to say. Like I felt compelled to say it. And that's because, you know, we've been reading to my son since he was in the womb. He he has always been surrounded by books. We've always read to him. I've always start with the title. We say who the author is, illustrated by, that's very important that we do that. Um, just so he knows that this is something that was created and this is who created the work, right? But when I, when he got here, there was just some things that I really wanted to tell him mm-hmm. about life. So, you know, everything that I wanted to say in that moment is all there about life being this amazing journey and that there will be, you know, of course, ups and downs and but I also wanted to tell him too, that there were certain things about himself that were going to be just so amazing and wonderful characteristics. But sometimes whether, whether it's something that he thought or whether it's something that, and and the manner in which he carried himself, there would be things that people wouldn't understand. And it's very important to me to let him know that those are things that he should keep Mm -hmm. and to be strong in yourself, to be an individual. Also to know that whatever happens in life, you may feel very excited about something, but then you get a little lost along the way. It was very important to me to let him know that if you just be still and listen to your, your, your inner voice, you'll know what to do. Cause I'm a big believer. in when we come to this life, everyone is pretty much equipped with what they need to get through. We come equipped. We can learn new things, of course, but the essential things that we need, we do have. And I think oftentimes, even as adults, when we ask people for advice, friends, family, oftentimes we're just looking for, for permission to do the thing that we kind of feel like we already know that we need to do anyway. Mm. We just need someone to say it. We need the permission. And I wanted him to know that you don't need that. Guidance is great. But if you feel lost and you feel alone, you have, fundamentally, you have what you need. 
And that was an important message, but it was also important to me that he also see in those pages himself reflected. I think it's important for all kids to see themselves, but also see the array, the diversity that we have. So we understand that what the world looks like. So our libraries should reflect that, especially as children, because it is so easy to be othered. I didn't realize that I othered and othered myself or been othered, but I had internalized that. Mm. Even though I was a military brat, even though I was growing up around kids who came from all parts of the world and were mixed with all kinds of things that you don't normally see in your average town, you know, all kinds of you know, people think, oh, Korean and black, but it's like, mm, that's actually quite common. You know, you have Samoan and Mexican, Guamanian and Panamanian, and you have an array of people and it was never a big deal. But even having that very strong environment in which I didn't actually even think about race until I was like 12. So we moved to Texas, actually, you know, although that was not something on my radar, I had internalized the idea that I wasn't in stories, that someone who looked like me was not just weren't in books. Mm-hmm. And you internalize a lot of things as a kid. You don't realize I would write newsletters that were like these fake newspapers. <laughs> and I'm like eight years old, right? Creating this, this news newsletter program on the computer. All the news was like these horrific things. A bus explodes and crashes. Everyone dies. This, and it was all this negative stuff. And I was looking at it. I was like, no one told me this is what it should be. But from as a child, my observations of the world was that when things are on the news, they're really bad and people die. So kids internalize everything. And my internalization regarding books and my identity, which I didn't even think about. I did not grow up thinking like, oh, I'm Korean and black. And this is like interesting. It's just, oh, there's Korean food, kimchi, mommy. and you know, Everyone's mixed up. Everyone's something. It's not even a big deal. But still, like when it comes to books, though, like, oh, no, you're not in there. They're all like usually white and blonde. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I actually dealt with for a long time, even after high school, actually. I didn't put myself in anything because it just didn't, it's not what I saw in my mind, you know? So I think it's very important for kids to see themselves because I think that one of the biggest lessons we can learn, you know, people think kids need to have this lesson. You don't have to give kids lessons. Whatever you show them, they are actually learning by just being and witnessing. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a library in which you have kids seeing themselves and seeing all kinds of different kids, different situations, families, disabilities, whatever the case may be, what they internalize is the world is very mixed up. Everyone's different, but we're mostly the same. And how we look doesn't really matter. You don't have to give them a lesson for that. You don't have to try to tell them you are, you know, this is what the world is telling you, but you look like this and this is what you should do to be strong. You don't have to tell them any of that because they're going to make their own assumptions about life and their observations just by showing them. So I think that's actually one of the best ways we can foster not even like acceptance because if a kid just sees that, what are they really accepting? They're just like, they don't accept that the sky is blue. They don't accept that the grass is green. It just is. And different people, different cultures people just are. And that's, that's like, that's a no brainer, you know? And I think that that was important to me. No, it is important. I mean, literature should reflect reality. Like in, I mean, I live in New York city. We're like, there's, it's, you can't walk two feet without finding different languages and different everything. So Yeah. yeah, of course we should have everybody feel reflected. So that's wonderful. How old is your son now? He is four. Oh, he's four years old and he saw when he saw the copies of um you will do great things on the desk he was like 
was you will do great things released and i was like not yet almost but and i was like this you have kids have such a great memory it's like what our brains were before they got all this other stuff happened to it <laughs> they remember everything and i was so excited just to see him see the book Aww. he knows it's inspired by him he knows it's for him the child is wearing one of the outfits that he was wearing sometimes uh, that he'd be wearing sometimes and just sit it on his bookshelf because we read Aww. reading is such a big part of one of the things that we do our, our night mm-hmm. it's bedtime routine is long look our bedtime routine is like 45 minutes because it's less of a routine <laughs> and more of bedtime yes and that's when we chat that's when we're reading these books we're going through different things and just to, to see it there was meant a lot Aww. to me that's amazing. I felt I had a children's book come out last year and I felt the same way. Oh, I'm like, I have read, I'm like, I've read 8,000 books at least. I don't know. I mean, so many books. It's all we, we've done since. And my older kids are almost 16 now. I have four kids. And then I find, wow. I was like, finally, for the youngest kid, I have a book that's like age appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> that's so amazing. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Thank you. What's the name of the book? It's called Princess Charming. It's about a girl who, Princess, uh, Princess Charming. Yeah. Who, uh, just, She's not particularly great at anything, but she just never gives up and she realizes that's her superpower. So I love that. Yeah, I love sort that. Of based, on what I'm, based on my daughter. Not that she's not good at anything, but it's sort of based on her persistence and all that. Yeah. Um, and she was dedicated to her and she also was like, oh my gosh. You know, so anyway, <laughs> wait, quickly, tell me uh, more about the book club. So exciting. I was going through all of your picks, several of which have been um, authors who have been on my podcast also. How do you pick? Like, when did you, how long ago did you start it? And what does it mean to be a member? How, and how can people join? Well, the joining part is really just showing up. So Amory's Book Club, you follow along with the selections. You can go to amorysbookclub.com. You can also, for the most part, it lives on IG. So you can also go to Instagram. We have the at Amory's Book Club handle, but the conversations are on my own personal account. And eventually we'll probably be moving it over. But for now, we just do it that way and it works really well. Mm -hmm. And essentially, I choose a selection at the beginning of every month. And then uh, we you know, amplify that book because of course I want to really just get the book into as many hands as possible. We amplify the book throughout the month. We also have like an author check-in video that's from the author in the middle of the month where they either tell us three things that we need to know about the book or why they wrote this book, some kind of tidbit to just kind of pitch it to readers again in case they haven't joined us yet. And at the end of the month, we have an Instagram live conversation, which has been a lot of fun. It was actually Jonathan Franzen's first time coming using Instagram and it oh was, my gosh. we had technical difficulties and everything, but it was really amazing. <laughs> and <it> was great. <laughs> but, um, essentially it's just, I, I really love to talk books. And so Amory's book club is all about amplifying, you know, unique perspectives, diverse voices. And when I say diverse voices, it doesn't mean that there won't be any white straight guys on there. I mean, diverse, meaning we're going to run the gamut. You're going to have everyone that I want to share with you, like any of the books, uh, and they will come from different viewpoints, different people, different identities. I I just like to keep it very diverse, (laughs) basically, Mm -hmm. which is why Jonathan Franzen would do. So most people were like, oh, Jonathan Franzen, I'm like, look, we need to, it's about, I don't use it meaning this is a diverse book. I never like it when people use that term, when they're saying Mm -hmm. this is a diverse read. It's like, Books can have diversity in them, but it mm-hmm. is not a diverse, like you're adjectiving it wrong. The The adjective mm-hmm. is just, you're, I don't know, you're turning into this like other thing, but I am big on, we haven't had anyone that's like a, you know, actually we have, 
our most recent most recent book choice was The Hard Road Out, uh, One Woman's Escape from North Korea. And Ji Hyun Park actually is North Korean. She lives in the UK now. She actually is a member of the Conservative Party. So we actually, you know, we, we, do, we do have those voices. And I think it's really important to hear different accounts uh, from different people, different perspectives, because it's very easy, especially these days, to become siloed in our own bubbles and we're only reinforcing what we think. But I think one what we have to get back to, I think, is that whole like we went we you know, remember when it was all like tolerance and then tolerance became the bad word and it became acceptance. And I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I think we need to go back to tolerance, guys. I think we need to go back to tolerance because <laughs> acceptance, you can't make someone accept anything, your viewpoint, anything. What we can do is tolerate differences and accept those things that we want to but it's still important to hear and listen to different experiences and that was an interesting one because i did see some people say whoa she's escaped from north korea she's a refugee and but then she became a member of the conservative party i don't really understand and i was like if you think if you actually put yourself in her shoes get out of your Mm -hmm. perspective and think about the things that she had to deal with which was government too much control very bad trying to get the government to tell you we should do this at that point, you almost, she was on the extreme end of things, experienced the extreme end of things. I'm like, I don't know, guys. I can see how you might really want none of that involvement. And it can, the idea of anything that even whiffs of not even communism, but perhaps socialism and some things that we would say, mm-hmm. oh, actually, but that could be good. It's like, nope, actually, nope, nope, this is what. And I'm like, we have to understand that people, people come to different things on their, they come to different conclusions for their own reasons, and everyone has valid reasons for why they feel the way they feel, whether you disagree or not, or you agree, it's valid for them. I feel like I could sit and talk to you for like three more hours about books. Um, I'm sad this is ending. I feel like we've barely <laughs> scratched the surface. I, know. I have so many more questions about the club and you know books and all that, but um, hopefully to be continued in some way, shape, or form <laughs> at some point. But um, it's nice to meet a kindred, you know, book obsessed person um, yeah. out there in the world, and uh, you know. Yeah, I you're definitely your organization obsessed. System. I love that. I'm totally obsessed. I, I love the you know, book card. This is not my show. <laughs> So you're going to go buy the book card, buy the library card and send, post a picture of it or send it to me or something. And I, I want to see it. Yes. I'll send you mine. I'll send a picture of it. I mean, you know how much space that is? I know. I'm telling you. It's double-sided. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so All much right. Well, congrats on your congrats on your children's book. Um, so exciting. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 